Welcome to Forging Plowshares, a community dedicated to cultivating the peaceful kingdom of God. We hope this part of our ongoing conversation stimulates your mind and challenges your heart about what it means to be a follower of Jesus. Please stay tuned at the end of the podcast for a short message about our ministry. All right, if you have, have I missed something? Are there other further potential objections? Paul, I'm wondering where you come out. How do you read Maximus? How I read Maximus is what I've said tonight. In other words, I think this is a true, if you're going to follow Maximus, I think you have to hold to this notion of full identity that God becomes man and man becomes God. I don't think it's a metaphor. I don't think we can qualify it and be true to Maximus. So I think that's step one. Now, I could be wrong, but that's hard to believe. No, you know, I think that Jordan Wood is very, uh, just reading a little bit of Maximus. I think he's the best interpreter that I've come across. I'm feeling the, the group here. I'm very Japanese, by the way. You know, what's the what's our group consensus? And do I, you know, I don't want to be the nail that sticks out and gets hammered down. Well, I, I want to say, Paul, that I, I mean, there's lots of thoughts that have been going through my head, but I mean, Romans 8 came to mind that, and, and all that we've discussed from previous figures in history that, I mean, you named Athanasius, was it Athanasius or Irenaeus that said um, God became man so that man may become God. Athanasius. I mean, just that, that pithy saying there that, that really sums up the hypothesis or that it, it is theological reflection upon the confession. And I'm, I really took a lot from Bear in recognizing that it really is just one thing that we believe. Uh, it's one thing that is the uh, it's the scandal and it's the 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 breath of life is that you are the Christ, the Son of the Living God. And our reflection on that, I mean, Maximus is just another brother reading the scripture with us, you know. <laughs> I, I don't want to minimize him or scholarship, but but the fact that we are talking about him and the other figures we are talking about, there's a there's a real unity to this because we're we're holding it up in this class we are holding it up through looking at it through the lens of the hypothesis and asking the question you know is this too far the fact that it's resonating with us and consistent with a lot of what we've talked about so far and that we can hold them up next to Augustine and Luther, Origen and Maximus you know it's it's an east and west however you want to um, sort of look at the divergences this is theology to me that validates it right there that that you know we can't really go wrong um as a group and so there's the japanese thing coming back it is important i mean we we need to read this together and so the spirit of the class is really what i'm i'm feeling as you say that and really as i sit here romans 8 um it's something new. The whole thing is a new creation that's that's actually being born, but actually was done before the foundation of the world. Pretty cool. Yeah. I think I'm seeing too in this class that we can go wrong and someone's, you know, someone being as influential as Augustine can set a course for a, a lot of years to come in the church. So getting it right is important that not that we would say, yeah, Augustine was a bad guy, 
like my my kids want to know in the movies who's the bad guy and who's the good guy it's not always that simple yeah it's never that simple so so we're in a new time we want to try to be faithful with what we've been handed which is an augustinian tradition that is being and rightly questioned i think those are the two extremes you know that I don't want to call it Protestantism. It is Luther and Calvin. I think see is the kind of the end of Augustinianism. And I see in Maximus the complete opposite of that, which is neither East nor West, you know, that, that he's before that divide. But it is there is a characteristic form of thought. Yeah. I, I Matt, to your question, you know, where am I? Uh in, in asking for objections to this, I really am looking to see if I'm missing something. Is there a problem that, because this is wild stuff. This is territory. It's over and against where Protestantism is going to land. I mean, there's nothing wrong with that, but I'm just, I'm just wondering if it collapses things. And, uh, uh, but other, other than that question in the back of my mind, I think there are enough safeguards in Maximus to talk about uh, the, the, a differentiation in nature and participation, but well, I was I was just going to say you know we were talking about our identities collide. He descends down, we ascend up, and you know God is light, and then we are light. Is there necessarily a problem when we don't keep our end of the end of the bargain of us keeping our identities to align with Christ? When you know when we say that we are the church and we are Christ. And then yet we have two millennia of Christian history that we couldn't even tell that these were the Christ, or these were Christians. Is that a dilemma with theosis and, and with uh, Maximus, or is there a problem there innately? Or are we always talking about with these identities, we're talking about post-resurrection when these identities are tied closely together? Does that make sense or no? I'm I'm saying pre resurrection for all of us today. I think he's talking about he's not limiting it to a, a post. One of his prime examples, and again, he's reading the Bible like Origin. He uses Melchizedek as an example of deification and of of a parakoretic understanding. But understand, there is no before or after resurrection. There is no before or after Christ. That Christ is in in the middle of history, so that all of history, though, is a part of this process. So going back to recapitulation, we're already being summed up into Him. It is. It is. There's a lot of the Irenaeus in this. Yeah, there is a lot of a sense of recapitulation. If by that you meant, is it an after-death experience? Well, certainly. It- well, I'm just saying we're talking about this identity and that we, we're not trying to separate them. We're trying to tie them in together. I, I can see how some Westerners would push back and say, no, you aren't like Christ because you're still flawed in so many areas. And Christ is perfect. If that makes sense. Yeah. yeah. No, so I can, I can see how people push back on that idea yeah i think maximus is saying you're jesus in a strong sense not in a prideful crazy sense i used to work in a psychiatric hospital everybody (laughs) there thought they were jesus you know not in the crazy sense but the idea of a complete identity 
I think that's what he's saying. And so this is, I think, offensive to a Western sensibility of a kind of awe shucks. We could never attain this to a kind of Calvinistic, uh, such a worm as I. So in a way, we can, I mean, even if we don't feel it internally, we still are Christ. And just as Maximus would say, or is that too much? Is that, That's the question. Is it too much or is it? Well, to me, to me, that feels very odd because I would not go in front of the pulpit next Sunday and say, look <laughs> at me, everybody. I'm Christ because I get thrown out really fast. <laughs> On ahead. the other hand, like the, the typical language in the New Testament, you know, that we have the mind of Christ, that we are the body of Christ, that the least of these, that we're serving Christ. Uh, we can just we can just keep going on and on about the radical sort of language of the New Testament. So it, it is. I, I wouldn't want to say, "Hey, I'm I'm Jesus Christ," either. But I could, get, you know, I could say that the gospel gives us the mind of Christ, and that whenever we love others, that we, you know, we're functioning in the body of Christ or whatever. Like we can nuance it. I think that that must be the distinction, Matt, between the you know the essence, you know, the essence of God and the energies of God, right? That we're God by participation. So there is that there is that like important distinction or nuance to say that we're never God, even in deification or apocalypsis, where it's not my essence. We'll always be creatures. But yeah, you're right, Austin. You probably we're, shouldn't get up on Sunday God's by participation <laughs> and preach yeah. this. Well, I'm just trying to work this out before. There's a um, a mystical a, a saying in uh, the mystical tradition that I'm wondering if. If, if this resonates at all with, with Maximus or it may have nothing to do with. And C.S. Lewis quotes, it's, the high, it's a high middle ages mysticism quote that says, in re- reference to God in creation, this is thou, neither is this thou. And he says it in letters to Malcolm and talking mm-hmm. that there's basically anything that you can point to in, in creation that is an image, a reflection uh, an expression, uh, a, a revelation. This is God, but then at the same time, and it's like positive and negative theology, uh, the apophatic and cataphatic sayings. I'm wondering if Maximus is sort of living in that, in in this. I don't know how much he talks about it, if at all. What becomes that tradition and mysticism of talking about? To, and maybe that's more Augustinian than it is from Origins. Um, way of talking about things but i'm just uh, throwing it out there and wondering yeah he he is a monk it's kind of interesting that it uh, a lot of the outstanding thinkers that we're describing are monks maximus has no position as far as i know you know in the church he was secretary to the emperor before he quit to become a monk his main thing is uh, he he is just this huge I mean, these guys, these, these remarkable people, I mean, that's what you read, you know, when you enter into them, that they're just, it's like they're in, there's an order of, of humanity or personhood that somewhere we lost. <laughs> these guys, these huge personalities that just, just amazing thought life. You know, I saw, I saw it in Origin and, and it's there in Maximus. Is it there in Augustine? Well, <laughs> let's uh, quickly go through. Uh, the questions that uh, the focus was ambiguous seven in the discussion of theosis. And then he illustrates this in ambiguous 20. How could you easily sum up Maximus's picture of theosis? 
Sum up his picture of theosis. What does he mean by that? The key word that comes to mind is potential. I'm thinking of a plant growing or something that's in formation that moves into, I know divinization is a word that we often use, but I want to use the word actualization. It's, it's enabled, but we participate in it. And I want to somehow put the word grace, like support all that short. Those I actually phrases. like the word actualization there, Jim. <laughs> I think that's good. I think actualization is a perfect word because, it's, it, and then in other words, we're not always potential, but we're becoming actual creatures. Yeah, yeah. I think that's it. That. Uh, there, the theosis, it is a, a realization of, of what we are to be. Yeah, I think that's it. What is, uh, question two, what is uh, Augustine's objection to apocatastasis? I did a whole wonderful blog on this, and I know it just captured your attention. <laughs> Most of my blogs do. It takes time. <laughs> <laughs> I know it takes time to write them. Takes me time to read them. <laughs> <laughs> hopefully, hopefully not an equal amount. <laughs> no, well, that's a good that's a good thing if it is because it, it's it's a lot to swim in. Your thoughts after you, and it's no reflection. The silence is no reflection on their value. That's for sure. I think a big thing is he does object to it. He does reject it. Hmm. The idea is that we do enter into a different economy here in his rejection. Yeah, I mean, I guess he, he's, in many ways, he's just looking the other direction. So he's, you know, Origen and Maximus as well are, are reading Scripture, reading Philippians 2, reading 1 Corinthians 15, and taking in those passages through the lens of the cross and Christ, the end is a given, and then exploring the middle and beginning from that point. Origen, I mean, a, a Augustine is is starting in the beginning, assuming a problem occurs in the beginning of our fall from grace and from Eden, and then opening up the economy to fix that initial problem. I think that's key, and I think that marks the the big departure. If we're going to talk about East and West, and that's probably an unfair characterization, uh, I think that at least that marks the, the difference that we've just, with Augustine, we've entered into a different economy. How is theosis different from the common misperception of you are gods? Well, the way to be being a, a, a god in Maximus' understanding of you are god is, is down and not up. It's, it's care, bearing the cross, suffering for others, and seeking to do good for others. It is not, uh, as you put in your blog post, Nietzsche Superman. Yeah, yeah. Oh, somebody read, somebody <laughs> read stuff that I wrote. <laughs> yeah, I think that's our, our tendency is when we hear that, to think of the, the Uberman. And, of course, the, the problem with that is that really is not what we are imagining there is a kind of human capacity in place of the reality of our, our natural incapacity, uh, we're mainly sick. <laughs> and, and the first sick guy was Nietzsche. You know, he's, ta he's talking about this uberman and this kind of the, the, by the power of the will or the, I think that we can imagine such a person, such a superman, and, and 
but it, it's probably not true to the human condition. But yeah, and but the main thing is your point there, Matt, that to become God in this sense is is the Philippians kenotic movement. I mean, would it be fair? I mean, also to to I mean the misunderstanding of you are gods also being I mean. I mean, that seems to be what Bart, Bart is criticizing in liberal Protestant about the 19th century in Germany, understanding that, that we're, we're saved through our own capacity and, 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 and simply by being German or, you know, by looking internally, not to, not to Jesus within us, but to, to what, we can, what we can do on our own. Yeah, yeah. That, uh, uh, and, and, of course, in that sense, uh, that is the the deception that we all we always imagine that oh if i could be truly a, a german or get back to the blood and soil of germany or if i could be a true american or uh, or if i could be you know i'm saved because i'm jewish that that is that we what we do with culture with identity with you know the symbolic order is that we would reify it and deify it yeah here is a, an easy one. Describe how apocatastasis stands at the center of an east-west difference in regard to Christ and salvation. And my question may not be a good question because I'm posing an east-west difference, but go with my hasty generalization there. How would you answer this? Um, I said, uh, broadly speaking, the Eastern Church looks at Christ and sees the end. Christ is the purpose and end of humanity and the cosmos. Christ has defeated death, and he has taken our, on our humanity to heal our illness of sin from the inside of our nature. This is the apostolic preaching of Christ working in and through the economy of creation. According to Origen, from his apostolic preaching of Christ, the Church uh, at one time drew the conclusion that all humanity is being pursued and persuaded into Christ, so that at the end of the ages all will be restored, and God will be all in all. God works out this end through Christ, not by overriding our free will, by persuading, correcting, convincing, and even burning the evil out of us to move us towards him. The Western Church, on the other hand, looks at Christ and sees the beginning. Christ suffered the penalty of original sin, so humankind can return to paradise. Through Adam's original sin, all humans have inherited his sin and are justly subject to God's punishment of death. Christ on the cross has borne this punishment that was intended for humankind. As a result of this sacrifice, at least as interpreted probably through Augustinian tradition, those elected by God have been forgiven and will be saved. Those who have not been so elected will perish. Free will in this frame is defined down to determinism and, and and attempts to understand this determinism is hidden, God's inscrutable ways. Apocatastasis stands as a light illuminating this difference between East and West because it's seen only by looking at the end through the cross, understanding that Christ is a purpose. If on the other hand, we see the cross as resolving a problem that occurred at our beginning, namely solving, you know, and this is a characterization, but God's just wrath and punishment of humankind deserved by reason of its inherited sin, then we can't see apocatastasis on that horizon. Although there are some who can. I mean, Barth and, and von Balthasar and um, others come close to seeing it out there um, through that horizon, but it's much more difficult to get there. Good, yeah. You had an exhaustive answer. Was that... Uh... You had a couple of answers that uh, were blog-worthy. 
Well, there's an old lawyer adage. Give me a day to write a brief and it'll be 20 pages. Give me a week, it'll be two. <laughs> yeah. The last one, I don't know if it's important to, that we go into the details, but do you all understand how did Augustine misunderstand origin and how does Maximus theology reflected development made nearly impossible in the West? I think Augustine got tripped in the Vulgate Latin translation. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. He, he, uh, he misreads uh, Romans 5, that all have sinned in Adam. And the genius that he was, he gives us a whole theology based on that mistranslation. Uh, I think that's a biggie. I, I, once we do original sin, I, I don't know that we can ever get back to something like apocatastasis. I guess one thing I would add is is what a, a big difference between both Origin and Maximus is, is, is human free will. They want to keep a consistent picture of human free will and give us a picture of the human as, I think it was Jim that said it earlier, you know, growing over time and moving from our initial existence into our intended end. Whereas Augustine, because he's looking backward, is going to give us a very confused picture of human free will. So that there was a point in time before the fall where we could choose good and evil. After the fall, we're bound by sin, and so we have no choice anymore. We, we choose evil, can't even recognize good. And uh, those who are given the grace of Christ, not by their choice, but by God's election, then are able to choose good. And so we, we free will has really kind of dis take, you know, exited stage left here in any way that we recognize it. Um, I think that gets really taken up in Calvin's double predestination. The other thing that I think is interesting is Maxim, we had, well, you know, beginning of Ambiguous 7, and in, in, I think, 42 as well, Maximus is condemning the idea of a beginning unity that we were at rest with God and we fell away from God as a misread, as a mis or originism or a misreading of origin. But Augustine has the same problem in that there was a point in time in the garden when we were with Christ and we commune with Christ. And if he's the ultimate good, we have the same problem that Maximus pointed out is then if you're at rest in the ultimate good, there's no falling away from that. If you are able to fall away from it once, you're just going to infinitely fall away and there's no end. But that's, that's, that's the only, I think, things I would add. You know, the sorting out the difference between origin and originisms is kind of difficult. <laughs> yeah. uh, that I think origin is, is, of course, much better than what that individual, whatever it is they condemn uh, is, is not true of origin. Or at least it's not true to origin. There, it's not to say that there weren't some problems with origin. But hey, Paul, can I just jump in real quick? We had talked about our topics that we oh, were yeah, going to yeah, cover. Yeah. I was thinking about uh, looking at Kierkegaard and uh, his his views on on salvation and the gospel interpretation. Oh, that'd be great, Drew. I have an experience. I took a graduate hermeneutics class, and mm -hmm. the guy was—he uh, was kind of the premier, you know, uh, Greek scholar of movement. And this was a very serious class, and 
on hermeneutics. And I did what you are doing now. I, at the end of the class, you know, we were supposed to say topics. And I saw, I said Kierkegaard, and he just looked so crestfallen. <laughs> I said, oh, that's not really, uh, so I went ahead and did it. But no, it's an excellent topic. There's a lot there. There's a lot to be done with it. Good. As long as you're not crestfallen. No, then. no, not at all. No, no. Good. Good. That'd be good. Does anybody else, uh, anybody else chosen? I haven't narrowed mine down, but I really want to do this, trace the theme and the topic of basically monism versus dualism, <laughs> you know, and, and where do we land in there and, and how do we articulate um, and how, how do these figures help us wrestle with that? Cause you know, my prior, um, training has has told me that the opposite of what maximus says i mean um it was one professor that i uh, i did an independent study with and and that and and, and there's other places where this maybe augustinian uh, root is ultimately there's a hard distinction between god and god and god's creation and never the twain shall become one and when I was reading in, in Bear about Irenaeus, that all came right back to me. It came rushing back to me that the incarnation, the, um, the identity of Christ, the, the, the nature of him as both God and man shatters that. Yeah. And I think that's what Maximus is saying. So I want my project to sort of tease that out a little bit, spend some time with these figures and trace it. Yeah, no, I see Maximus as as bridging that gap. At least it, there here is one way of bridging that gap. All right. Does anybody else have an idea of what you might do? I'd like to take a look at Origin and his reading of Proverbs eight twenty two, first principles. Great. Yeah, I really liked your you you ran down Origin for us real well. I'm thinking about personhood, sort of what uh, you were just saying, Paul, about the grandest grandness of their uh, uniqueness each each of these church fathers but that sort of it gets um, addressed in a book that I have called sources of the Christian self which is a play off of uh, Charles Taylor's work but it's is kind of showing that the uh, the person who <clears throat> is in Christ can be best identified the sources of that person's nature can be identified when you see what they what they their whole story was uh even back to their childhood uh and also the context of the times in which they were living uh if you live in the western church in the 1800s or early 1900s you're going to have a different totally different situation than at any other time in history if you're in the eastern church and you know closer to the time of origin you just have a totally different context and this um book this work talks about why that is so important in assessing a person's I don't know what you really would be assessing but just in discovering the uniqueness uniqueness of each figure of history and their contribution it helps us to do it well when we consider those things Who, who's the author of your book well it's a compiled book done out of Regent College the, the introduction is very interesting to me. It's written by Jim Houston. He's had a hand in the history of that school. He was, he was instrumental in pulling these essays together or studies together on several different church members of church history. Okay. Yeah, no, that sounds very interesting. It's a huge topic. I'm good at that. I always pick out something way too big. So. 
I'll have to have to whittle it down. I was just thinking we we last night my wife and I watched a documentary on this uh, slave ship that uh, was burned, and you know there's this little it's a little village there, and that's called Africa Town. And these people, you know, they've been their history is sort of defined by they were the last slave ship. This guy that brought them in, he just did it on a dare that it was actually illegal at this point. And he brought in the last slave ship and burned it. And there's so these mm. people were there only in the Americas for like five years before. But my point is that as I was watching that, I, I had Maximus on my mind, and I was thinking, you know, when we talk about apocatastasis or a, a, a notion of recapitulation, <laughs> and we talk about uh, individualism or uh, each of us. I assume that part of what that is is that all of that gets taken up into who we are in Christ, that we don't shuffle off the histories that we have, but those histories are redeemed. Yes. Uh, our, and, and that must be part of what it means that our personhood is redeemed. Isn't that going to have to be part of this, that the injustices that have been done, the things that have been so consequential to us as individuals, they're not just erased, because that would be a kind of erasure of the individual. And I think that's precisely what we're not in any instance talking about. That's a vague thought. Jim? I have three ideas. Let me toss one out. I've, I've been toying with the idea of setting up like a seven-hour workshop in a church and um, either have materials out or like have short presentations of these keynote sources, Origen, Irenaeus. And then after each capsule, have a discussion with the folks. And then they would have like uh, materials that they could use to like create like a artwork that represents the, uh, the thoughts or the ideas. And then they would like give like a quick three to five minute description of how they're piece of art describes what they've discussed okay yeah that sounds very interesting okay well then i i might head out okay um, drew good to see you. thank thank you very much have a great week everyone all, all right. right you too Bye. all right this has been uh this is the turning point in the class <laughs> so next week we'll we'll have another contrast with with uh, maximus and then uh one week left so all right. We'll see everybody next week. Thanks, Paul. Thank okay. you. Thank you, guys. Good night, guys. Good night. Good night. Forging Plowshares is a community dedicated to cultivating the peaceful kingdom by providing in-depth, transformative biblical and theological education and discipleship. If you have found this podcast valuable, please remember to share on social media. If you have questions about what you've heard, or if you'd like to learn more about how you can get involved with Forging Plowshares or even support this ministry financially, please visit our website, forgingplowshares.org.